Welcome to Breaking Ice and Building Bridges from Possibilities. I'm Kelly Johnson. And I'm Byron Jackson. Glad you're here. Connecting a community through conversation. Welcome to the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges show. I hope I got that title right. This is always the hardest part of the show for me, <laughs> is what the heck name of the show is. I am your host, Byron Jackson, and the only reason I'm your host tonight, folks, is because no one else volunteered to do this. Otherwise, um, you would just have guests with no hosts, and they wouldn't know what to do. They would be very shy. Luckily, we're all drinking straight vodka right now, so <laughs> everybody is very loose and loquacious. Hi there. I have three guests, so let me try and let's go around. We'll go around this way to my right. So Ryan, Ryan Hamrick, correct? Yep. Correct. Yes, sir. And why are you here, Ryan? I was invited by uh, this audio engineer here. You were? I had a hand in raising. <laughs> so a, let's just open up there with the... Uh, you're her uncle. I'm her uncle. You're oh. Uncle Ryan. I'm Uncle Ryan. I will always be Uncle Ryan. Now, does she call you Uncle Ryan? She just calls me uncle. Just uncle? Unless it's very serious, since Uncle Ryan. But mostly it's uncle. Now, you actually helped raise her, didn't you? Yeah. Starting when she was 14, so... 14. Yeah, not cute baby pictures or any of that. Just the deep mm -hmm. end of the pool, right? Yeah. Boys she, and driving and wild decisions. Yeah, I was going to say, she was uh, uh, she she was quite a teenager. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. That's what my mother always said about people would go, I bet he was really good. And she would go, no, no, no. But I'm glad she's doing well now. She's. I'm glad she's here. I couldn't be more proud of this girl. She's... She's my own beating heart right there. She's she's not my beating heart, but let, my foot maybe my beating <laughs> foot. Well, welcome, Ryan. We'll come back to you as soon as you pay pay up, and so <laughs> we'll go more over here to my whichever right, and so Alberto. Okay, I blank. You almost on. got it, Antonio. Alonso. Alonzo. Alonzo. Yeah, the A. <laughs> I had an A. It was AA. -A. Yeah. So welcome. And you're a Toastmaster. Yes, yes, yes. In the what, works. What do you do besides Toastmastering? Uh, I guess my professional job is design and manufacturing engineer. So I work with aircrafts. And when I'm not doing that, a lot of reading, a lot of biking, a lot of running. That's a lot of lots. Yeah. Now, I, like, I like to stay busy. You know that... Um, Aircraft, the whole, you know, airplanes, aircraft, is the biggest industry in Oklahoma. Yeah, no, yeah, and, and that's one thing, because I know a lot, there was a lot of um, migration from the aerospace industries from um, Kansas to Oklahoma, um, and there's also big tax credits that have kind of, like, cultivated that. It's that. Yeah, they're building things here that they're, like, top secret. It's just amazing. It's that. Yeah. Because people think it's oil, but it's actually aero. What is that? Aerospace. 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 Yeah. Aerospace and defense specifically, since we have um, Tinker Air Force Base. Ryan, our goal before this is over, get okay. some top secret information. <laughs> get the secrets from, out of me <laughs> from Alberto. We're, I have a light in there. We could just hold it over his head, Alberto. That's funny. And last but not least, Suzanne. 
You've saved the best for last, I think. I, I did. Now, what was your, I never asked your last name. It's Singletary. Suzanne Singletary. Singletary. Mm-hmm. I had a very good friend named Wayne Singletary. That's probably my uncle. Who's a... Editor at the Oklahoma? We went to college together. <gasps> Get out! That's yeah. amazing. It, we were very good college friends. It was uh, Wayne and I, and there's another lady named Denise. Denise Gamino. Yes. I'm in touch with Denise. She still De- comes up sometimes. Uh, Mike Carrier. Mike, I see. Um, Mark Green. Yes. Yes, still in touch with all of those. Uh, uh, my uncle passed away in 2001, uh, but we yeah, stayed I remember. in touch. I remember, I remember him passing. So, yeah. oh, how cool. How, how very cool. That is, it's Wayne a- was a dear, dear, dear friend. Oh. And um, I wasn't, I wrote a column for the paper and, oh. and at OU for years. and. Yes, so he was the editor, I think, his senior year yeah, of the yeah. Oklahoma Daily. Was yeah. it called that then? And so uh-huh. I, I was there. But what do you do? So uh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, uh, mm. <laughs> but I work in public relations. So I help tell people stories. Um, I get to work with a lot of cool people who do a lot of cool things and promote that. Okay, so let's practice now. So <laughs> Ryan... Ryan has a story, so you're going to help t- just come up with a story. You're going to help tell his story. So oh. tell us a story. Any story? Any story. A Any personal story. story? Yeah. Okay. Well, I grew up in Dell City, and I was not supposed to be the person that I am because when I was born, everything was very still stratified, right? Like very outsider style. There's socioeconomic, right? You come from a poorer family, you come from a family of means, and you have the few families that are considered wealthy in Dell City. And that was the way it always was. It was the way it was for my older siblings. But then something very interesting happened right as I came into the world, which was busing, right? And so when busing started, Middell schools wanted to do anything they could to avoid busing. So what they ended up doing was annexing Forest Park. Right. in those schools and those became part of Middell schools, but they did not know what to do with Forest Park Elementary School, Pleasant Hill Elementary School. Yes. And so they turned it into a talented and gifted program. And what that did, those of us who were bused once a week to this talented and gifted program, suddenly all of our socioeconomic strata were just erased. It was blended. Right. Suddenly what the distinction was in Middell schools was, were you part of this program or not? And so you, you mentioned OU. Straight up through the line, right? Like elementary school, Kerr Junior High, Dell City High School, OU. Everybody I knew was going to be an attorney, right? And most of them did. One of them has a doctorate in communications, and she is head of communications for the libraries at OU, right? Uh, another buddy of mine who is an attorney also is a movie producer and a movie writer, right? Lives out in L.A. Um, a good friend of mine was... Uh, minority leader of the state house, right, until he got term limited. And I got swooped up into that. And that never would have been my story had this accidental fluke of history not happened. And it was just them scrambling to find out what happened or what to do to avoid busing because it was so wildly unpopular. And they accidentally created this whole other success story where people were pulled up out of poverty, right, and put on a track to get a decent education and be, you know, considered an equal with all the people who otherwise may not have looked down on them as equals, right? 
Ryan, that was a lot of story for her to work with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I could shortly summarize, maybe. Um, So, uh, Ryan, who was gifted and talented, overcame many barriers, and now has connections um, on various levels that afford him great relationships in the community. Whoa. Yes. Well, talk, talk dirty, <laughs> Suzanne. Yes. <laughs> that was good. Okay, Mr. Toastmasters. So if he came to Toastmasters and he told that story, would you, like, give him tips or would you throw water on him? What would you do? Oh. To- well, if you were to come to Toastmasters, I mean, you'd, you'd be coming as a guest. Um, and because I guess to give you a little bit of information about how Toastmasters works, um, it's there's a set agenda and there's different roles that different people have. One of them being the Toastmaster, which you can think of as a facilitator. Then there's speakers that have, that are the individuals that have an assigned speech. And those are typically um, five to ten minutes long, depending on what, you're, what you want to speak about. And then there's other roles like someone who times, someone who counts your ums, uh, filler words, um, someone who pays attention to your, the gr- gr- grammar you're using. But if you were to come to Toastmasters and it was the first time you ever came, you would kind of really just be witnessing what's taking place. But we also like to incorporate our guests into what we do, right? So there's a section called table topics. So it's impromptu, on-the-spot, mini speeches. So you get asked a random question that the table topics master will ask. And it could be literally anything. What's your favorite color? Why is your favorite color? What's you know one of your biggest accomplishments or biggest downfalls in life it could be anything and it's one to two minutes so you'd probably be asked one of those questions that did nothing to help with his talk that he gave already although it did tell us a lot about Toastmasters but But it it would give him the opportunity to share share. she's sharing now I got criticism. I can take it. Give it to him. <laughs> He's in debate. Let's go. Okay, like shave or something. Tell him something that will help him. Oh, feedback. <laughs> uh, right? We're taking your drink away from you. So. It's all right. It's all right. Maybe just uh, vocal variety. Vocal variety is always important. So knowing when to slow down and when to add more intensity. So maybe when you were talking about the, you know, coming from poverty and the prior to the, that historical event taking place, adding a little more gravity and emotional um, affection to the words. Because then that, that makes it to, it, it makes it more memorable to the audience. Because, you know, a lot of times people don't remember exactly what the words you said, but how you made them feel. So if you can evoke the feeling with how you're saying it, it's going to make it more memorable. Yeah. Damn. Yes. There you go. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah. There we go. That's pretty good. (laughs) Okay. We won't charge you this time. It's all right. So let's, uh, you guys are really very interesting. So I, things to know about me is that my regular podcast is called We Are Not Prepared, which could really go into this podcast too. But I, I, because I'm close to retirement age. I mean, I'm that I should have retired, but I have not retired. But um, what I I do is like in instincts. Like I just kind of will be talking, 
And so you guys will say something and it makes, there's like a little tickler in my brain that goes, huh, let's talk about that a little more. So the subject that came up, you really interested at me and busing when you brought up uh, busing. And so are you for, familiar with busing, just what it, what it was or? No, 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 no. So, and it's really, are you, Susan? I would appreciate sort of a definition. I think I have an idea, but I'd love to hear. So not only was Ryan bus, I was bus because of Brown versus uh, Board of Education. Mm, okay. Um, schools had to desegregate. And so slowly they started doing that in the South. And in Oklahoma City, um, they because what's happened, people start losing federal money if they did not bus. Mm-hmm. And so they started busing at schools here in Oklahoma City. And so they would take, um, usually they would take white kids and bus them to a predominantly black school. Sometimes vice versa, but they felt it was easier that way. This is why you have like towns like um, Edmond and uh, Yukon is because there were certain parents that refused to bus. So they moved. And so what you ended up with was a city of predominantly black at that time because people didn't want to, to bus. And so, like, for you, that was a great opportunity. And I'm very aware of the complicated background of that, right? Yes. Yes. It benefited me greatly. But, you know, it had to do really with, like, so many other things. It was bureaucratic, right? The math came out. To meet compliance, you had to have a district-wide average. Yeah. And so, Middell Schools, which... Dell City, maybe not as much Midwest City because of the Air Force Base, but it's still very primarily white, right? But when they annexed Forest Park, that was a school district that was 95% black. And so suddenly the district averages worked out fine. Mm-hmm. And they just had to figure out a way to allocate the money, which involved busing us once a week and not constantly to this program, right? So they found a way to get around it, kind of. Yep. What I, what I thought, because I was best, but I was in Colorado, and so what I thought was they kind of put us together because it was driven by government, but they really never taught us to get along or mm-hmm. to interact. So you just were kind of put together, and you had to figure out how to— get along, which we still don't. So if you go to school today, the Hispanics and Latinos sit together, the blacks sit together, and the whites sit together. So we're still like segregated, but it's just, we're in the same school. And so we really haven't learned the art of being able how to sit and and talk with each other. Thoughts on that, anyone? Um, Well, I, I, I just recently graduated from college and the high school I went to, Santa Fe South, uh, it's predominantly Latino. So yeah. going from, uh, I think, an 80%, 85% Latino school to OU, which, you know, it's yes. a, a, there's a plethora of different um, ethnicities there. Um, I think it's it's once, because it, at the university level, it was 60%, if I remember the numbers correctly, 
rough estimates, 60% white, and then the other 40% was divided with the other ethnicities, with Asian being like 16, black 8, Latino um, eight around 8 and 9. And I think when it came to at the university level, because um, the the minority populations were able to kind of like, I'd say they were able to interact a lot better then because they were, there was like the minority group um, and then there was, I guess, the um, non-minorities. So I'd say within the minority groups, it was easier to interact with the other ethnicities. But that's not the one thing I experienced at the high school level. Because like you said, even within the states or the, within the districts, there's kind of, you can kind of like see different ethnicities centralized in different areas. And I grew up in the South Side, which tends to be more which Latino. Yeah. So, yes. um, so I grew up in Chickasha, um, which was predominantly white and also black. black. Um, and there was a definite side of town. It was still sort of heavily still segregated um, despite uh the school system coming together. Uh, there, you know, was Lincoln High School, or it was formerly Lincoln High School, but then turned into a middle school and then an elementary school, essentially. However, I really feel very lucky to have been raised in Chickasha. Maybe it's because there is a liberal arts university there. Mm. Maybe it's just the community and the mm. people in general. But everyone was very accepting. Um no matter what part of town you were in, I always felt as if you could walk in the door of any any house um, and someone's mother would embrace you. Mm. Everyone was always looking out for each other there. I don't know if it's still that way. I hope so. Um, but, yes, I feel very lucky to have been raised in that kind of supportive community down there. You know what's interesting? When I was, my grandmother was in Lawton, Oklahoma, uh-huh. and so I used to— drive to Chickasha to get to Lawton. So this was before t- all the turnpikes. And it was shorter. I could go through what was called Color Town and Chickasha because that bar- John's Barbecue. Was it Jake's Barbecue? There was a barbecue. Oh, so those are... We are very proud of our barbecue down there. Uh, so there is Jake's, which is the popular spot, especially among the OU crowd. I don't know if they're an OU sponsor. Yeah. I, I don't remember, but it's a stop on the way down to OU, yeah. Texas. But then there's Roy's Barbecue. And you can tell if you truly love barbecue if you pick Roy's because that is <laughs> true. Man, it's good stuff. It is barbecue. Yeah. Do you like barbecue? I do. I do. Uh, try, try, trying to ease out of uh, eating someone's red meat, but I appreciate barbecue every so often. You're just going to get banned from this show. I started, <laughs> I started to ban you when you said, oh, yeah, bicycle and running, and I go, this is way too much exercise. Now, and do, do you want to know kind of a little bit of background on why? Sure. It has to do with two books I read. Okay. Um, so the first one is the autobiography of a yogi. Yeah. And and the second one is uh, Gandhi, the experiments with truth, his autobiography. Um, and the reason I read Gandhi is because he mentioned, uh, um, y- Yogananda yes. mentions a meeting that he had with with Gandhi in his autobiography and uh, ha- mentioned some stuff about his biography. I'm good. So I, like, I don't want that. you to keep it, but I wanted yeah. to tell you, the book you're referencing was like written in the 50s. Yeah. 
So, okay, go ahead. But both of them focused a lot on, and, and obviously it's more Eastern, uh, like spiritual and re- religious kind of like connotation that, that the books have. But especially Gandhi talked, he focuses so much on his dietetics. I think it's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so diet. And towards the end of his life, he was really mainly eating only fruit and nuts. And he slowly, I mean, he never really ate meat. He was, he was always vegetarian. He tried meat and I think threw up when he was a kid. But as he got older and older, and, and a lot of it had to do with just uh, purity and being able to be the representation of, I mean, I guess his religion. Um, but that kind of inspired me to kind of take a step back. And also I, I did a backpacking trip one time in Puerto Rico and I randomly, this random dude just start, starts talking to me, right? He turns out to be a um, Hindu, a Hindu guru. We got into a really deep conversation about life, death, and he was also big on diet. And the biggest thing he advocated for was being vegetarian. So after that, it kind of, it kind of inspired me to ease off a little bit of meat. I tried being vegetarian, keyword tried, did a solid few weeks, and then kind of went back into meat. I have a daughter that has been vegetarian, vegan, actually, since oh. eighth grade. Vegan's a lot more intense. I, you know, I got, I majored in philosophy at OU. And so I got, at one point, very into the Theravada Buddhism, right? Full respect for the Buddha, for Mahatma Gandhi, all that. But I was also raised on Leo's Barbecue and that strawberry banana cake. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're not getting that out of me. Full respect to all the creative living beings out there, but that barbecue. Barbecue is it. There's like certain meats, the hamburger and barbecue. Mm-hmm. It's, I just so really fascinating stuff. You know that because um, Gandhi's nonviolent mm-hmm. methods was what Martin Luther King yeah. adopted, and Gandhi actually his whole nonviolent philosophy came from Walden's Pond. Mm-hmm. Wal- uh, yeah, Walden. Um, um, he wrote Walden's Pond. So. Terrell, yeah. Thoreau. Yeah, Thoreau. So his was based on, so called nonviolent, you know, resistance. Yeah. And uh, I think that the term that, that Gandhi coined was Satyagraha. Yes. Which means, which is the, the representation of nonviolent resistance. Yes. And there's another word that he had in there where he said, see if you remember this one, but where it's where you try and have conflict with your enemy with neither side losing their dignity. And so that was always his goal, was to not lose his dignity, but also whoever Mm -hmm. he was in opposition with, to not have that person lose their dignity also. Man, we're going to have to just hide our vodka now. uh, (laughs) It is getting deep. (laughs) (laughs) Suzanne said, I just came in. I just came in. Drink my vodka and leave me alone. (laughs) Any thoughts on any of the stuff we've had? It just (laughs) flying over in your head? Oh, uh, well, I appreciate all the topics that we've already discussed. So I don't think that I have anything that is richer to add to the conversation that hasn't been said so far. So it's uh, so a question. So like when you hear things like are new and this is to anyone. So you hear a new thought, like maybe 
your thought is new. How does your brain process that? And so just like my brain, sometimes with new information, the first thing my brain does is resist it. Mm. And uh, and so then I have to look at where does my resistance come from in my brain? And then I start going, why is that? So like someone asked me to go scuba diving and I just said no. And so they're like big scuba divers and they said, well, how come? And so I went back and looked at, you know, my resistance to that. Well, the resistance is I don't swim well. And so I go, okay, I need to take swimming lessons to feel comfortable. So my resistance is always based in sense. So my question to you guys is, is your mind like that or am I just nuts or... Well, I've tried to explain this exact concept to people many times. So I have a very unusual way of dealing with information. It, it, visually, it's it's spatially oriented, right? Like uh-huh. the sum total of information in my head exists in a sphere. And what I can do, if I hear anything and my gut says, I don't know, but is that right? Does that check? Hmm. What I will do is I will spin that sphere around until I get two or three vectors of factual information and just see if it fits in there. Just a sanity check. Oh, that's a good idea. Does that make any sense? And if it does, okay, I kind of accept that on general terms. I'll come back to it if it's important. If something doesn't jibe, then I'm like, I'm notorious for doing a deep dive in it. Oh, wait a minute. Let me pick this apart. And sometimes it's on very serious topics. Sometimes it's about movie trivia, (laughs) right? And everyone's like, it's not that serious. You can can stop now. I'm like, no, 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 wait, wait, because X, Y, and Z. And so... Now, were you like that as a kid? Yes. Very much so. It drove your parents crazy. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I was raised, I was raised by my grandparents, right? So they were from the silent generation. And I also had galloping ADD shock, right? But that, the normal generation gap didn't exist there. That was so disparately Mm. situated. And so many counselors and teachers were like, really the screening for ADD and the the treatment for it doesn't exist. Kids just need to be told to be quiet, <laughs> right? And so I basically white-knuckled it until I got to OU, mm-hmm. right? Very and true. then I sought my own treatment, yeah. Philosophy. Philo- well, <laughs> philosophy, yeah. But I was you go to Goddard and convince them I didn't have an upper respiratory infection, that I did, in fact, have ADD, <laughs> and they agreed. So I got treatment for that, which helped. But because of the way I had always navigated my education— it was just the equivalent of adding more RAM. Like, oh, you need to be better at this. Okay, just try harder. But I didn't actually learn to study. Mm. And I didn't have to until I was suddenly a junior in college. And then I was just blindsided. I'm like, oh, I really have to figure out how to study. And I did not have that skill at all. So it sounds like that you have been, your whole life, you've been put in situations where you didn't have playbooks. I mean, you... There were new situations where you kind of had to figure out how do I how do I navigate this? I think that is an extremely astute way of saying that. Yes, it was. <laughs> that is toss amazing. you in the deep end of the pool, man. You'll be okay. Yeah. And so far, I have been. Sink yeah. or swim. Yeah, yeah. That's really fa- fascinating. And you have some of that too, simply because you had the courage to go to Puerto Rico and backpack around. Yeah. There's something 
Um, there's a piece of wild wildness in you, an explorer. Yeah, and, and to kind of touch on like your your question about resistance, right? Um, cause that's one thing I, I remember. I started really thinking about a lot deeply. So in, in college, when I start to really like think, uh, be, become more conscious about the subconscious aspects of my thinking and re- and pers- pers- perspective. Because I think a lot of it goes back to our perspective or, or the filters that we choose to see the world through. Because a lot of times, you know, we're presented with a new situation and that could be a multitude of things, right? Mm-hmm. New food, new person, new language, new environment, issue, problem, whatever. And a lot of times, it, it, it's important to kind of think about it how, how both of you kind of describe, you know, seeing where where that resistance lies or being able to kind of like um, dig deep into it and understand what it is why it's why what's why one is experiencing the way we're experiencing it because it, a lot of it goes back to you know things that maybe we experienced forever ago because uh, I, I know one thing that I try to really understand is how, how has because our perspective is is created by our upbringing mm-hmm. and our upbringing is you know our family our environment all the different things that, that we grew up with. And there's things that, and because they become a part of how we see the world, it's a part of how we choose to think about things. And when we're presented with a new situation, it's like, oh, it's either good or bad, right? But one thing I realized I, I, I appreciate is chaos, which is why like, I'll, I'll throw myself into a whole other country by myself and just go camp somewhere random and talk to random people, which obviously can be dangerous, right? And a lot of my friends, you always think like that. But it can also be very rewarding. yeah. yeah. Uh, and but, but usually when I when I talk to it, especially with my friends or my family, they're like, "Are you okay? Like, are you crazy? Like, why are you doing this? You're in, this is dangerous." But it's because uh, it's it's kind of like with with, with them. The, when I have those conversations, I can kind of see their resistances come come about. And obviously, when I'm experiencing it, yeah, I'm going to see my resistances. But that's kind of the goal and the point to really, I guess, make those subconscious things that are preventing me from. Um, or, or fears, really bringing them up and, and seeing them and, and taking s- them on head on. And that's what I was going to say. You seek them out. Yeah. You seek the. You know, there's a Buddhist saying that says a lion, uh, not a lion, but a holy man could walk in the jungle and the lion doesn't attack. Yeah. And so you live that. I try to at least. Well, it's over to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um. So, uh, just thinking this through and using this very current and present experience um, and looking and hearing your answers, everyone's, um, my process internally is on, and I don't know, and that's the big question, is if it is nature or nurture, right? Um, just reflecting on yeah. backgrounds and exposure and how often you are put out of your comfort zone and what you're willing to accept. So I think a lot of the times, A, it depends on if I have agency, um, on if I find it curious. For instance, mm. I voluntarily signed up for this, and I am very <laughs> excited to be here. <laughs> good, good. However, at the same time, sometimes we all encounter things that we were not prepared for, mm-hmm. don't know anything about, and have uh, to respond to. Um, and so in in that respect, sometimes there is resistance, definitely. But I find myself that I am just curious by nature, um, and 
I am always wanting to know more. For instance, I have just really enjoyed sitting here and listening to your uh, perspectives and what you all have experienced. So thank you for sharing all of those. Thank, thank, I mean, thank all of you guys. Our time, believe it or not, our time is almost up and it goes quickly, doesn't it? It does. Time flies when you're having fun, right? It does. You guys, this was like so uh, enlightening and fun. I could sit and just talk with each of you for hours and hours. This is just, I mean, every, I had to hold myself back because. There, every question that you answered made me want to ask a dozen more questions. So <laughs> thank all of you. You guys could just say goodbye. You could here's what you're gonna say. <laughs> this has been breaking ice, building bridges. Then you, you guys could say goodnight. Okay, you ready? All right. Three, two, one. This has been Breaking Ice and Building Bridges. Good night. Good night. Connecting a community through conversation. Breaking Ice, Building Bridges is the Possibilities Community Podcast Platform. Thanks for tuning in.